This morning, our scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is God's word. We continue in our series closer than close. And as we do... Uh, If you're reading the book, chapter 3 is the the tough, you better get through it, uh, deeper part of the book. And so let me encourage you, chapters 3, 4, and 5, just put on your thinking caps in in Dave's book. And so this morning we are going to talk about Christ. If the premise of the book is that we are in Christ and that Christ is in us The question is, who's living inside of you? I could write a list of short stories or a series of short stories on on my roommates in college. If you're wondering why, I'll give you their names. I had three different roommates over four years. Uh, The first one's name was Ashish Gajanan Shambhag. The second one's name was Steve Austin. And the third one's name was Eduardo Fabian Adias. So those were my three roommates in college. It's the third one that's most interesting uh, to you uh, and to most anyone. Eduardo uh, came from Argentina. It was a new program at Wofford and they brought him in to study and he presumably couldn't speak any English. Since I was a Spanish major, that was to be good for my Spanish. And so I met Eduardo and he moved in. We got along fine, no major issues. It was toward the end of that first semester when I came back to my room to discover it had been ransacked. Um, Things had been stolen. My uh, brand new watch my parents had got me for graduation was gone. My brand new class ring was gone. Um... A card, a credit card was gone. There were multiple things missing. Eduardo had things missing and we didn't quite know what was going on. Turns out there were multiple other robberies in our dorm at the same time. So uh, other folks were missing very valuable things and it was almost time for the semester to be over exam week and So uh, the Spanish department was missing some things too. We began to see a common thread. Eduardo flew out to Chicago. He was flying back into Spartanburg and then on to Argentina. Wolford also had this thing called an interim. They still do. Four weeks in January, you study whatever for four weeks. It's one course for the whole four weeks. It's pass fail. It's the time to pick the thing that you want to learn more about. And so for me... I'd saved my own personal money and was headed to Argentina. For four weeks, I was going to study uh, transportation in Argentina, travel on all the four different, the four major kinds of transportation to all the major regions of Argentina. I was pumped, had never been out of the country. This was my first go at being out of the country. And so uh, I had this issue, things stolen and And uh, we began to see a thread through it that every single person who had something stolen from them 
was friends with my roommate. Huh. So I called up the professor who's, at whose house uh, Eduardo had left his things, and we had called the cops already. And I said, you may want the cops to go through the stuff over there just in case uh, they may discover ring, watch, cameras, whatever. And sure enough, went through the stuff, and Eduardo had staged the robbery in our room. He had stolen all of the valuable things I had. All the people he stole from were people who were good to him. He stole from all of us. He had it stashed. He was going to Argentina. The exchange rate was such that when he sold all his stuff, he could live for years and never have to work. And so the cops met him on his return to Spartanburg before he was to fly out to Chicago. I guess Wofford had some connections with the court system. He had a court date immediately. They escorted him off his plane. They took him straight to the courthouse. There the judge, uh, he had a trial. He was found guilty. The judge extradited him never to be able to return to the United States again, ever. And so then I had a trip to Argentina. And Eduardo had my complete itinerary. And I remember Dr. Griswold, the professor, she said, I know you're still going. I said, I know you're ridiculous. This dude just stole from me in the States. He'll kill me in Argentina. Well, by that time, I I, I wonder if I've forgiven him for this. That's rolling through my head right now. But by that time, all the good interims were signed up for. And do you know what I did for a month? Are you ready for this? All that was left was weaving. (laughs) I'll lie you not. There was fly fishing. There were other trips I could have taken. But all that was left was weaving. I sat in a room with a large loom for 30 days. And I wove table runners and placemats and cursed Eduardo. (laughs) You see, I had no clue who was living with me. No clue. I would say in a similar way, but on the positive side, many of you, if Christ is in you and scripture is clear that he is, have no clue who's living in you. No clue. Or perhaps you have a little clue. There's some things you know about him. And so this morning, I want you to take off your Sunday school hat. I want you to take off your I grew up with mindset. And for a few minutes, could I introduce you to Jesus Christ? I want to tell you who he is, what he did, and what he's doing I simply want to introduce you to my friend, Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you who he is, what he did, and what he's doing. All from these three verses that this anonymous author writes to Jewish believers. Who is Jesus? Straight from here, Jesus is the message of God. Jesus is... The message of God long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by son. 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus' life, Jesus' words, Jesus' attitudes are all the message of God. If you want to know God, read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is the message of God. John 14, 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been so with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Jesus is saying, I am the message of God. Number two, Jesus is the heir of all things. He is the heir of all things. It says God appointed him as the heir. God put him in place. So before all of creation, when Jesus eternally existed with the Father in the most loving Father-Son relationship you could ever imagine. God said to the Father, as, uh, uh, God said to the Son, at some point, we're going to create. And when we do, it's all yours. It's all yours, Jesus. You're the heir of that. Now, several of you in here have managed your parents' inheritance. It is fraught with difficulty, and if there's money, it's good. And Jesus had a mixed bag here. We'll get into that later. Number three, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the radiance of God's glory. Radiance is reflected brightness. Uh, God's glory is his perfection. Uh, Jesus perfectly reflects the perfection of a perfect God. He perfectly reflects the perfection of a perfect God. He is the brightness, the radiance of the glory of God. Four, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. What does that look like? This word means both the engraver and what is engraven. All right, so the engraver and what is engraven. Jesus is both what does the engraving and then he is the image of that. Do you know what we call that these days? Spit and image. Spitting image. We'll say that boy is a spitting image of his mama. Or that girl is a spitting image of her daddy. Meaning she looks just like her daddy. Jesus is the spitting image. The spitting image of God. Alright, so he is all that and he lives in you. He is all that and he lives in you. When you came to Christ, he came to live in you. That's who he is. We're rolling fast. What did he do? Well, we learn here he created the world. Jesus created the world. Uh, This is something that has been successfully in many places attacked uh, by science. 
Why? Why is there a target on Christ as creator? Because if we lose Christ as creator, our theology falls apart. You cannot lose this. This is a truth that cannot be revoked. Jesus created the world. You're about to see something unfold here that is quite remarkable. Secondly, Jesus purified us, uh, the writer says, from our sins. He created the world and he purified us from our sins. What does that mean that he purified us? He, on the cross, satisfied God's wrath against sin. So that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, the reason you could is because God's divine anger against every sin you ever committed was poured on Jesus Christ. Poured on Him on the cross. But this is important. It is one thing for me to look at my baby boy and say, that dirty diaper doesn't define you. That's justification. Justification is when you come to Christ, God looks at you and says, no longer does sin define you. That's justification. And many people stop there in their understanding. It's a forensic legal understanding of salvation. I'm justified. Here, clearly, we're purified. What does that look like? I look at my baby boy and I say, that dirty diaper doesn't define you. Let me change it. And I clean him up. It's one thing for me to say that. If Jesus only legally, forensically said, that dirty diaper doesn't define you, I still smell bad. Right? I'm walking around smelling bad. But here the writer says, not only, not only did he make sure that the dirty diaper won't define you anymore. He he changed it. He cleaned you up. That's purification. We call that in theology, sanctification. Becoming more like Christ. Getting cleaned up from the world. In a sense, Jesus already owned us as his creator, lost us through the fall, and inherited us through his own death. Jesus owned us as his creator, lost us through the fall, and inherited us at his own death. This is an interesting inheritance because All other inheritances work when somebody else dies. Jesus' inheritance came when he died. Wow. Recently, we baptized up at the creek. An amazing night. Baptized 31 people that night. Just a few weeks ago. And I spoke to hundreds of people on the creek bank. And here's what I said in case you weren't there. One of the events in Jesus' life I can't get over is his own baptism. It boggles my mind and here's why. Baptism, when John baptized, it it was straight up legit. You say, Jerry, how so? Well, you walked up and somebody, most likely you... 
announced your biggest sin problem. And then you were baptized. How'd you like that? Right? Come up to the waters. So-and-so, liar, go into the water. So-and-so, adulterer, go into the waters. So-and-so, thief, and you go into the waters. There's no holding back. Jesus walks into the midst of these sinners and they're lined up and they feel so condemned for their sin. And here comes the sinless one and he walks right through them all. Liars and thieves and gossips and, and, and adulterers and, and uh, uh, those who lust and those who get angry when they shouldn't. And he walks right through them all and he pushes his way through them and And he looks at John and he says, baptize me. And John said, what? Why did John say that? It wasn't because Jesus had been on some tour and and, and he's like the Michael Jordan of his day and just, you know, dumbfounded in his presence. No, it's not that. It's because of who he's around. He's surrounded by sinners and Jesus walks through. And I love what somebody wrote. I wish I could remember who it was. And they wrote this. They says it's as if everybody had their sticky note with their sin written on it. And Jesus walked through the crowd and he grabbed it. And he stuck it to himself. And he stuck it to himself. And he put it on himself. And he walked into those waters. And when he went in, all their sin, all over him. And when he came out, the sticky notes didn't have a thing written on them. And he walked back through the crowd and put them back on those people. Jesus purified us from our sins. And then Jesus sat down. That's what the writer says. Isn't that interesting? We got big theological words and then we got, well, he had a seat. Why? You got to read scripture and go, okay. Why does it matter he sat down? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let me talk about this word majesty for a moment. Uh, Majesty or majestic. I never do this, but I want you to see the word on the screen. Megalosuna. Megalosuna. Mega comes to mind immediately, doesn't it? Mega just means big. All right, majestic or the word majesty only occurs in scripture. It doesn't occur in any other extant Greek literature. Why is that? Because the word majesty is only reserved for God. Only God is majestic. Only God is majestic. And so Jesus goes and he sits down at the right hand of God, who is megalosuna, majestic. Why? Let me fill you in on an Old Testament sacrifice performed on the Day of Atonement. They would take a goat 
and they take that goat and grab the head of that goat and the priest would symbolically put all the sins of Israel on that goat in the temple. And they would send that goat out, Jerusalem on a hill, until it would get to a place where it would careen down a cliff to its death. There were men stationed every 20 or 30 yards along that path to make sure the goat died outside the city for the sins of the people. This is where we get our phrase, scapegoat, of course. And once that goat died, it careened to its death. The person who was on the very end would turn the man and he would yell back to the guy about 20 yards yet out who would yell to the next guy and yell to the next guy until it made it all the way into the temple. And this was what he would say. Are you ready for this? He would say, it is finished. And the next guy would say, it is finished. And the next guy would say, it is finished. And echoing all the way back into the temple was, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. When Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? What church? And when you finish a job, still today, what do you do? You sit down. You do it. And you admire it. Do you not? Whatever your project is, you finish it and you sit down and you look at it. Who's Jesus looking at this morning? Who? Say it loud, church. Who? Wow. He's saying, it is finished for joy. It is finished for Karen. It is finished for Kay. It is finished for Louie. It is finished for Ryan. It's finished. That's what Jesus did. No small task. What does Jesus do now? I love this. He upholds the universe. (laughs) No big deal. He just keeps all this. The writer of Colossians chapter 1 says, he holds it all together. He upholds the universe. How? By the word of his power. To uphold is to keep from falling. Now, he's not Mr. Universe with massive muscles. No. His words keep it together. The same way he created it, he sustains it. The same way he created the universe, he sustains it. All he has to do is speak. Son, stay there. Earth, rotate here. Stars, that way, this way, yes, 
there. Yes. And we're not too close to the sun so that we die. By being burned up and not so far away that we freeze. Why? He speaks and it is done. And did I tell you that he lives in you? Really? In the beginning, John 1 was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creative and the sustaining Word of God. He sustains the universe today. You say, okay, Jerry, are you serious about that? He had a buddy, a real close friend. His name was Lazarus. Word got to Jesus. Lazarus was dying. The disciples said, Jesus, we got to get over there. Lazarus is dying. We got to get there before he dies. Well, that's the case. Unless you're the creative and sustaining word of God. And so Jesus tarries. He waits. And could I interject here, has little to do with this sermon, but a lot to do with your lives. That some of you are in the four-day period between the pronouncement of death and between the anticipated arrival of God on the scene into the trial that you're facing. And in those four days, you wonder where God is, where Jesus is, why he hasn't stepped up, why he hasn't spoken into your situation. And so Jesus looks at the disciples, he hangs out, he finally gets there. Mary is dejected, Martha is dejected. Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus wept. He wept. If you ever have time to take that in, that the guy who could have prevented Lazarus' death and who knew he was about to raise him to life, Still, his heart broke for his people, and he wept. And so how did it go down? You'll see it on the screen. When he had said these things to them about being the resurrection and life, he cried out with a loud what, church? A what? And he said, Lazarus, come out! Do you know what I'm convinced of? If he had not put Lazarus's name in front of that, oh man. Oh man. Have you ever thought about that? What if you just said, come on, boom, it's like popcorn. People are like, Grandma, where did you come from? Don't know. Heard a voice. Voice said, come out. I came out. Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Why? His word created, his word sustains. So, ah, not sure. Oh, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go across the Sea of Galilee. They said, all right, we'll do it. So they do. He goes, gets a pillow, falls asleep. A storm comes up. They're freaking out. Why? 
They're about to die. People normally freak out when they're about to die. Jesus, after they wake him, I love it. Same thing. Some of you are there. Master, do you not care? Do you not care? Just like Mary and Martha. Don't you care? Do you not care that we're about to die? And he woke and rebuked the wind. And what does it say on the screen? And said. Say it, church. Said his word. Spoken word to the sea. Peace. Be still. I heard J.D. Greer describe this this way. If you look at that original language and the way he said it, basically, he put the Sea of Galilee in time out. Quit that. See? He spoke, and they were filled with fear. And they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves... Obey him. Who is this? He he holds the universe by the word of his power. And he lives in you.